And this morning, I want us to consider, as we've sung the gospel together, what is your verdict on Jesus? What is your verdict on Jesus? Matthew chapter 27, beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 31. Matthew writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. Now Jesus stood before the governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus answered, you say so. While he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear how much they are testifying against you? But he didn't answer him, even on one charge, so that the governor was quite amazed. At the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, what is it, Who is it that you want me to release for you, Barabbas? Or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew it was because of envy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judge's bench, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. For today I have suffered terribly in a dream because of him. The chief priests and the elders, however, persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to execute Jesus. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked them, What should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all answered, Crucify him. Then he said, Why? What has he done wrong? But they kept shouting all the more, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that a riot was starting instead, he took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. All the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and placed a staff in his right hand. And they knelt down before him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews! Then they spat on him, took the staff, and kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. Let's pray. Lord, as we read these words, we are reminded of the gospel and the great links and the great price that was paid so that we could sing out, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. 
redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And Lord, I pray that as we consider this passage, that we would be once again convicted by the Spirit of the living God, bearing witness with our spirit that indeed these things are the very truth of God and not the invention of any man. That this is truth that saves our souls from death. And so, Lord, as we unpack this passage today, Lord, speak to our hearts and drive the hope of the gospel deep, deep and deeper into our souls. That is our greatest need. That is our heart's desire. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Simple question today. What is your verdict on Jesus? This passage, Jesus is on trial and the answer Pilate is making, the answer the crowds are making, the question they are answering in this passage is the same question I want you to consider today. What or who is your choice? What is your verdict on Jesus? I want to consider this passage in three scenes, and in each scene the application will be clear. And so since we have a lot of work to do, let's just go ahead and get to it. Scene one, in place of our judgment. Jesus is dying in place of our judgment. With the Jewish trials completed, the chief priests and the elders delivered Jesus over to Pilate, and they're seeking to procure Jesus' execution. They're seeking to have Jesus killed, which would be stunning to anybody who would read it in that day or, or see these things going on, that the chief priests would somehow be collaborating or think them, thinking that they could collaborate with Pilate. This is political expediency at its finest because Pilate and the chief priest Pilate and the Jewish peoples did not get along in these days. There is actually much history of animosity between Pilate and the leaders, Pilate and the temple, Pilate and the teachers of the law. This becomes clear when you understand some of the history of who Pilate is. Pilate is actually the fifth governor of the Roman province of Judea. Pilate was governor of Judea from about the year 26 AD to about the year 37 AD, somewhere in that particular time frame. Pilate was a man who is devoted to Caesar worship. He's devoted to worship of the Caesars, worship of the one who would claim as himself to be Lord, the one who would claim as himself to be God. He devoted himself so much to Caesar worship that very early on in his tenure at night so that nobody would give any opposition in the dead of the evening, Caesar, or Pilate had his armies prepared to march in the standards of Rome, gigantic flags of Rome, marching them into Jerusalem, setting up these standards in view of the temple, these standards bearing the image of Caesar, these standards that would he knew would be considered as a clear violation of the command of God not to have any other gods, not to have any graven image or any other gods before me. He sets up these standards in Jerusalem, and the result of that was swift and severe. The Jewish people began to riot. They surrounded Pilate's house 
for five days demanding that he remove these standards from Jerusalem. You must remove this image from our temple precincts. We cannot see this. We cannot worship God, and we will not worship God. And the people began to riot. Pilate actually decided, I will have none of this. We're going to end this. See me in, in the arena. He brought all of the leaders and all of the rioters and all of the insurrectionists. He brought them into the arena. He gave the order for the Romans to draw their swords and to kill them all. But in the face of death, Pilate saw the courage of the Jewish people and he stayed his hand out of fear of the masses. Now, in spite of all of this, Pilate never backed, or Pilate backed down at that moment, but he never forgot what they did. And neither did the Jewish leaders. According to Philo, another Jewish historian, Pilate once offended the Jewish law by bringing golden shields into Jerusalem and he placed them into Herod's palace. So not only did he make enmity with the Jewish leaders of the temple and the law, but he also was at odds with, with Herod as well. Makes more sense when it says in the other Gospels that from that moment on when Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate that they became fast friends after that. They were not friends before that. They set up these shields in Herod's palace and the sons of Herod the Great petitioned Pilate to remove the shields, but Pilate refused. Herod's sons actually petitioned the emperor and Tiberius Caesar angrily reprimanded, reprimanded Pilate for what he had done. said, get that out of there. We cannot have any more rioting in this, in this area that has always seems to be blowing up in our province, in our Pax Romana, in this in this, in this empire of peace we are seeking to establish. So we can see that Pilate had this tumultuous reign in which he was barely trying to hang on to control. One more episode, Pilate once offended the Jews of his day by raiding the temple treasury, taking the money out of the temple treasury, and using the money to build aqueducts into Jerusalem. Now, nice project, <laughs> We like aqueducts. They're interesting to go see. And they were beneficial in that day. But you don't raid the temple treasury in order to build an aqueduct. That is for the temple of God, for the support of the temple, for the support of the Levitical priesthood in that, for in that day because of the law and fulfillment of the law. Ahmad formed when Pilate ordered his troops to beat them with clubs, with clubs. Many people perished at the hands of Pilate, at the hands of the Roman guards on that particular day. In fact, Luke probably refers to this episode in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, the, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now it's stunning that the Jews, the Jewish leaders would actually bring Jesus to Pilate, the one that they hated, but the one that they were willing to get into cahoots with, the one that they were willing to compromise with if it meant that they could get rid of Jesus if it meant that they could get rid of this one who is threatening the hearts of the people, drawing them away from the chief priests, drawing them to Jesus. And so they present Jesus to Pilate. 
with all of these accusations. And think about what Jesus looks like in that particular moment. Jesus, who has already been up all night in a trial. Jesus, who has faced the punching of the Jewish guards. Jesus, who's probably already bleeding from his face. Jesus, who probably already has welts, probably already has a black eye. Jesus, who has spit that is encrusting in his hair, who is encrusting in his beard. And Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? I mean, really? (laughs) This beat up, spit running down his beard figure. And Pilate, probably at that moment, just had a good laugh. I can't believe this is happening. But yet you and I know that this is so ironic at this moment. When Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? We know the answer. Jesus knows the answer. What is the answer? Is Jesus the king of the Jews? Yes, he is the king of the Jews. In fact, in his sermon, S.M. Lockridge says that Jesus is a seven-way king. My king is a seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews. That is a racial king. He is the king of Israel. That's a national king. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's my king. That's Jesus. He is all of these things and more. That is Jesus. Listen, Jesus is judge of the world standing in front of this human judge who couldn't even govern his people properly. Jesus is king of the world standing in front of this human judge who we find out from the book of John can't even discern what truth is. What is What is truth? He says to Jesus in these moments of trial. He's standing before this human judge who finds Jesus as a curiosity at best, but no threat to his reign. Let's think about that just a moment. Pilate is a man who can't govern his own life properly, who struggles to believe in truth, and who finds Jesus a curiosity at best, but no threat to the reign over his own world and his own life. Sound like any world you ever thought of or ever been a part of? The response of Pilate to Jesus is the same response that we see the world so often making to Jesus today. It is the response of the agnostic. It is the response of, I don't know, I don't care, just leave me alone. I just want to get these people out of my face. And it's the response of a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. This Jesus remains silent as he is accused by the chief priests and the teachers of the law of being an insurrectionist. We know that word in and of itself would strike terror in the heart of Pilate, one who's already been in trouble with Tiberius Caesar, one who's already had riots, one who's already struggled to govern this ungovernable territory. He hears their accusations. Jesus is an insurrectionist, a mob organizer seeking to overthrow Caesar, seeking to claim himself as to be Lord over Caesar. And to these accusations, Jesus 
says nothing. He remains silent. And we know this is in fulfillment of prophecy. The silence of Jesus was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, where it says, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Why is Jesus silent in this moment? Is, is it because he has no defense to offer? Are you king of the Jews? All of the chief priests accusing him in verse 12. Jesus does not answer. He is silent. He is silent again in verse 14. Is it because he has nothing to say? Is it because he has nothing to come back with? Is it because he has no defense in that particular moment? Why? Why? Why, Jesus, are you silent in this moment? Is there ever any moment to speak up? It is this moment. Jesus, why are you, why, why are you silent in this moment? Listen. Jesus was silent before the judgment seat of Pilate because at that moment, Jesus was answering for our guilt. All of our sin was being placed on Jesus. And the one who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, became sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. All of our sin was being, the word is imputed, all of our sin was being reckoned as belonging to Jesus, and by faith, all of Christ's righteousness is considered or reckoned or imputed to us. At that moment, Jesus said nothing because he was bearing the weight. The sinless one was bearing the weight of the sin of the whole world. It is by faith that your sins are applied to Jesus. It is by faith that Christ's righteousness is then applied to your account. That is what it means to be saved. To be saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe that Jesus, when he died on that cross, was actually paying for all of my sins, all of my rebellion, all of my wickedness, all of it, all of it, all of it from all who trust in him will be, will, he bore it all. He paid for all of your sins. So what is your verdict on Jesus? If you come to Jesus by faith, trusting Him as Savior and Lord, Jesus paid for all of your sins. All of your sins were imputed to Him. All of your sins were laid upon Him. And in that moment of faith, when God opens up your eyes to see the glory of Christ in the gospel, you can be saved. And you are saved. And you never know when it will happen. I heard a phenomenal testimony yesterday at men's breakfast. Larry Humphrey shared it. Do you mind if I share a little bit, brother? <laughs> it's a phenomenal testimony of one who didn't believe in Christ, was invited by a softball team, men's softball team at Richland Baptist Church. What, how many years ago? A few years ago, five years ago. <laughs> we used to play softball. <laughs> 
So five years ago, when he used to play softball, <laughs> was invited to a team. Wasn't a believer at that time. Came to the road in the car, to, and he said, when I was riding with the team into to the softball fields, during that time, they took advantage of that time, this one-on-one -on -one time to share with me about Jesus, what they're learning in church. And God just began, I was like, nah, I just want to play softball. And then one day he was sitting at his house. His family was gone. He's sitting alone at his house. And he said, Lord, if you're real, show me. And boom, in that moment, God opened up his eyes. He knew it was real. He knew it just wasn't just some story out there. He knew it was true, and it was true for him. It was truth of the gospel. It was good news for him. And in that moment, he believed in the gospel and was saved. That's what it's like. It's so often, I, and C.S. Lewis described, like, I got on the bus, and I didn't believe. And I got off the bus, and I believed. I don't know what happened, but it was God that happened. God opened up his eyes. What we pray for for lost people. God opened up their eyes so they would believe. And that's our prayer for you today. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, my encouragement is consider the claims of Christ. And we're praying for you that God would open up your eyes. Put that, put that, the Holy Spirit in your heart to open up your eyes so you can see the truth of this reality that will save your soul from death. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. That is is the gospel. What is your verdict on Jesus? Scene number two. Scene number two is a stunning exchange. Scene number two is a stunning exchange. In scene two, as so often is custom in the ancient world, you can read about it in other contexts of this particular event happening, the exchange of prisoners at a particular festival or a particular holiday. They would have a prisoner in jail and somebody who had been arrested recently and they asked who is it that you want me to release to you that was a custom in the ancient world anybody they wanted in jail that time at that time there was a man in jail whose name is Barabbas we actually don't know much about him outside of scripture outside of the gospel accounts but Mark gives us a little bit more information than Matthew does about him Mark 15 verse 7 says a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. And so Barabbas is in prison. He is waiting, awaiting death, and his crime is insurrection, the very same crime they are accusing Jesus of in these moments. This one, Barabbas, had incited riots. He had committed murder. And what does his name mean? Bar-Abba. Bar, son of, Abba, father. Son of a father, or son of the father. Interesting. Pilate gathers the crowd together, and you'll often hear preach that this was the same crowd as was praising God a week before. You know, at the, at the triumphal entry, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. I actually don't think it's the same crowd. It's a crowd, but I don't think it's the same one. I think it was a different crowd. Because I think the crowd that was ushering Jesus into Jerusalem was primarily a Galilean crowd. And where were the Galileans staying during the Passover? There wasn't enough room in Jerusalem for them to stay, all stay in Jerusalem. The Galileans, similar to Jesus and the disciples who were staying outside of Jerusalem in Gethsemane, they were staying outside of the city. Since this trial is happening so early in the morning, there would not have been enough time for them to come into the city. I think this is actually a crowd that is stacked. I think this is a conspiracy. 
I think this is this conspiratorial act on, the, on behalf of the Jewish leaders of the chief priests and leaders of the law who have gathered this particular crowd in this particular moment when given this signal, they would shout what it is that they wanted. And they would give them the verdict that they desired in that particular moment. In this moment, Pilate brings out the accused and he says, who is it that you want me to release for you? And something very interesting happens in verse 17. There is an alternative reading of verse 17 that I actually think is the more accurate reading of this text. If you look in verse 17, you'll see a little asterisk after Barabbas. Actually, in my Bible, it's in verse 16, after Barabbas. And if you look in the margin of your Bible, it says other manuscripts read Jesus Barabbas. What is Barabbas' first name? Barabbas' first name is a common name in that day. Barabbas' first name is actually Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? Barabbas' first name is Jesus. The reason why I think that's original is because nobody would have just added the name later Jesus to Barabbas. <laughs> that would not have been a scribal error later on or an addition that somebody would make. I think that's actually original. Pilate asks, when he stands in front of the crowds, think about this. Pilate is asking in that moment, do you want me to release for you? Do you want Jesus Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus Messiah? Which one do you choose? Do you choose Jesus Barabbas? Jesus, son of a father? Or Jesus Messiah, son of God? Same choice that you have every single day. Which Jesus will you choose? Will you choose the Savior of your own making? Will you choose a political Jesus, a liberation Jesus, a permissive Jesus, a convenience Jesus, a genie in the bottle Jesus, a healthy, wealthy Jesus, a Jesus that will give you what you want and make much out of you, a Jesus that will lead whatever your hearts desire, will lead the insurrection if you want that, will lead whatever the Jesus you can control. Is that the Jesus you want? That would be Jesus Barabbas. That's what the crowds clamor for. That's what the world clamors for. That's what so much of the church in America is clamoring for is a Jesus in our own making, a Jesus we can control, a Jesus that will do some nice stuff for us when we want it, when it's convenient. That's what the world wants, is the world wants, and the temptation is always a Jesus that I can control, a Jesus that will do what I want, a Jesus that will give me my heart's desires. But no, before us is offered, do you want Jesus Barabbas, or do you want Jesus Messiah, Son of God, that can take away your sins? The Jesus said, said things like this in Luke 9 23 he said this if anyone would come after me he must take he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me which Jesus will you choose Jesus Barabbas or Jesus son of God which one the crowd shout out we want Jesus Barabbas we want Jesus Barabbas he knew the religious leaders and the, and the people that were envious of Jesus because he was so popular among the people, what he didn't bank on was them stacking the deck in that moment and the influence that the Jewish leaders had on the people of Jerusalem. 
He didn't predict how much they would be influenced, and so they begin to cry out, Jesus Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, like so much of our society today, even some of the church today, Jesus Barabbas, a Jesus we like, a Jesus we can control, a Jesus that comes in our life when it's convenient, and then we can check out on him when we don't feel like we need him anymore. Oh, me, right? <laughs> oh. Jesus Barabbas. The scoffers are crying out. We want Jesus, but the one that we like. We want a Jesus in our own image. And I need to pause here just for a moment. The crowd does cry out these words. Let his blood be on us and our children. It is a tragic truth and reality of history that those words have been used, that verse has been used to justify much anti-Semitism in the world. And that is anti-biblical and anti-gospel and anti-Christ. And there is no place for that whatsoever among those who claim Christ. Why is that? It's because if we're real about the gospel, we're right there with them. We are numbered among the scoffers who are crying out in our sinfulness. We want Jesus Barabbas. Without Christ, we would be right there with them. Christ washes here, Pilate, I'm sorry, Pilate washes his hands of the matter. He can't change his guilt. In that moment, no amount of water could wash these stains away. It's interesting, the only one here defending Jesus is Pilate's wife, sending somebody to say, I had a dream, have nothing to do with this just man. There's not a man in the crowd that will stand up for Jesus on that day. And they march Jesus away. Pilate says, have it your way. They march Jesus away and they release Jesus Barabbas. And there we see another reality. Jesus is dying in the place of Jesus Barabbas. Jesus is dying in the place of Barabbas because they crucified two thieves on both sides of Jesus that day. There was, an, there was a third cross that had become available. Who is that third cross likely intended for likely intended for Barabbas but Jesus took Barabbas's place on the cross and that is just a picture of the gospel for us because we are as Barabbas was guilty 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 making gods in our own image going our own way desiring what we want trying to make life work out of ourselves and yet jesus dies in our place the cross that we deserve jesus hung there the punishment we deserve jesus is there bearing the pain for our sin jesus dies in our place how do we receive this free gift of grace it is received by faith trusting in jesus christ and being saved what is your verdict on jesus final scene is this scene three the suffering savior before christ was crucified in verse 26 it says that he was flogged we we were released because jesus was flogged we don't have time to go into it in detail but roman flogging was horrific many people died in the flogging where that Jesus would be tied to a post and his arms stretched out in front of him where his back would be stretched out. And these Romans would have a particular whip that would be laced with chips of bone and 
metal on the end, metal balls and chips of bone and shards of glass on the ends. And they were experts at flinging the whip around to where the, the metal balls would cause there to be bleeding on the inside, metal balls that would cause there to be bruising. And then they were experts at flinging it sideways to where the whip would actually come around the body and attach itself to your front, to your stomach. And then they would rip it back over and over again. Probably 39 lashes he received. He stood there bleeding, covered in his own blood. The blood that saved us from our sins. He was whipped. He was, they put a crown of thorns on his head. Some of them being one inch long thorns, crushing it into his skull. They put a scepter in his hand and a robe around his body. And they began to mock him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they had their fun with him. They took the scepter out of his hand and began to beat him. W.A. Criswell has an excellent sermon. I commend it to you. It's called The Scarlet Thread. And he traces the scarlet thread throughout Scripture, and this is one of the places he lands. Why was it mentioned? Why does Matthew particularly mention it was a scarlet robe? It's the color of royalty. But I think it's also symbolic. Because Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says this, Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And all of our sin was placed on Jesus as Jesus endured physical agony, but even more spiritual agony as our sins were laid upon the Christ, as our sin was laid upon the Messiah, the only one who can save. Dane Ortland said about this, the evidence of Christ's mercy towards you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy towards you is his mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned eternally in your place. That is our Savior. Every sin laid upon Him and He died in our place for our salvation. Let's pray and we'll spend a moment to meditate on these things. I don't encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, perhaps what happened to Larry a few years ago, as he was invited to church by this softball team, perhaps that same thing is happening to you today. I mean, you, didn't, you came here, you, you, Jesus was kind of interested in it, you're, you're kind of curious about it, but now you know it's, it's, he's the Savior, he's, he's God, he's truth, he's what you need. Trust in Jesus. Would you trust in him today? Would you come to him by faith? You'll receive forgiveness and grace and everlasting life. He loves you and he would love to receive you. I'll be waiting right here at the end of this service when we sing, you respond, you come, I'd love to pray with you and help you to trust in Christ. 
Or maybe you just need to get right with the Lord. Maybe you need to come and pray. Maybe you need to pray for somebody you know who is lost, who needs this good news. However you need to respond, let's respond together. I'm going to pray. We'll have a moment of silence, and then we'll respond together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the Savior. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times in our lives when we have preferred Barabbas over the true Jesus. We prefer to Jesus of our own making and Jesus that could do the kind of stuff that we like, which is not a real Jesus at all. It's a figment of our own imagination. And so, Lord, forgive us for that and help us to receive the true Christ. Help us to never settle for substitute messiahs. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that, indeed, Jesus was the substitute in our place, paying for our sins on the cross. And, Lord, I pray that you would work during this time of response. Help us to respond to what you're saying to us today. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.